Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is brought to you by Blue Handle Publishing, which is excited to introduce several new books by local author and business operator Charles D'Amico, including the thriller Veritas and its follow-up Ave Maria. The first two books in the Neil Baggio Suspense series. Blue Handle has also just announced a two-book deal with Amazon best-selling author Andrew J. Brandt, also an Amarillo novelist. You can learn more about these books at bluehandlepublishing.com. Today's guest is Megan Eichner, the County Extension Agent at Amarillo's Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension Center. Now, if you don't know what an agriculture extension agent does, well, you're not alone. I'm right there with you. My conversation with Megan about her work and her career, though, was really educational. We talk about everything from soil health and water issues in the Texas Panhandle to the potential for farming hemp around here. Agriculture is a big part of our culture, and Megan's job is to educate farmers and ag workers with the latest research, while also working with younger generations to make sure that tradition continues. And an important note before we start, Megan's interview was one of the last ones I did before the pandemic and shutdown hit our area. So this conversation is several months old. It all took place before everything that has dominated our discussions over the past few months. Keep that in mind. Here's Megan Eichner. Megan Eichner, mm-hmm. welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm, um, I'm excited to talk to you, and I know that uh, there's a lot of stuff that we'll cover eventually, but the first question I always ask my guests is, why are you here? So how did you end up in Amarillo? Did you grow up in this area? No, I did not. I grew up in a small town in southeast Colorado, and I ended up here via education. Okay. Um, I started out at OPSU in Goodwill, Oklahoma to do my bachelor's and then transferred here to WT to work on my master's. And I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, but <laughs> well, I've been here quite so, a while. <laughs> um, Southeast Colorado is still sort of high plains, right? It is, In, yes. in terms of the landscape, Absolutely. I guess. Absolutely. Most people think I'm talking about the mountainous area, but there's a very different part of the state that is <laughs> pretty as, flat. Maybe not as pretty. <laughs> yes. um, so your, your education brought you here. What kind of education was that? Well, I, in my bachelor's work, um, went into meat science and um, was working at a meat facility in Guymon and quickly realized that my career options were fairly limited to working in a meat plant and decided that that wasn't really something that I wanted to do forever every day. Okay. So I decided to come to grad school here at WT and um, explore other career options and expand my knowledge outside of what I had learned in my bachelor's work. So Why was, why was meat science on your radar from the beginning? I mean, did you grow up like in an agricultural setting or? Yes, sir. I grew up on a farm and ranch and um, was heavily involved in that. Uh, Grew up in 4-H and um, had livestock that put me through college, so cattle and sheep mostly. Um, So I had definitely an interest in in agriculture as a a career path. Um, There wasn't that rebellious thing like, "Ah, I'm going to, I'm going to go you know, do something digital <laughs> and instead of, you know, like, like your no, family did. No, I was kind of traditional. Okay. <laughs> you know, I did what I was comfortable with um, and what I love. I mean, that's all I've known pretty well. 
And so the meat um, specification really came from some of my faculty members there um, who encouraged me to just explore it and try it out. And man, I learned a, a lot of really great info that I still use to this day. Um, so I'm really thankful for mm-hmm. that opportunity and those faculty members that kind of guided me towards that path. But like I said, I decided that that wasn't that like the career options were fairly limited to working in a meat plant facility or USDA being an inspector or something like that, which okay. requires a lot of travel. And I didn't really want to live that lifestyle. So decided I would kind of come down here and expand what I could learn. Okay. So tell me um, what that, that sort of pathway then ended up being as you changed, you know, your focus in college and, mm-hmm. and went on. So I tried to generalize more um, in to some business areas and education. And while I was in grad school, I had the wonderful opportunity of working for the Randall County Extension Office as an urban youth development coordinator, which um, basically is working with youth in the Amarillo School District and, and Canyon School District, um, teaching them about agriculture. Mm-hmm. And I really love that job. Uh, and did that for about a year, year and a half. And then I got married. <laughs> and my husband, um, his career path is in construction, which led us to Canadian okay. for about seven years, where we worked in the oil field and I fell back on some old 4-H skills and started a bakery because um, I did cake, cake decorating and okay. 4-H as a kiddo. <laughs> so I, I didn't had know to cake be, decorating yeah. was a 4-H it skill. Was, it was so. where I came from. We don't have it here. But okay. <laughs> anyway, again, great skills. You learn in 4-H. You never yeah, know when you're exactly. going to need them. <laughs> so um, love that part of our life. We did lots of neat stuff. I worked for that company as well. and But I never I, – I really wanted to get back to the Amarillo area, mostly for career opportunity because I had – done a master's degree and hadn't really used it yet. Yeah, so master's degree and you're working in a bakery. Yeah, <laughs> yep. And the oil field business can be so volatile. You know, we just felt like we needed to get a little bit more stability for careers. So we had the great opportunity to come back to Amarillo and I took it. So how long have you been then in your current position? My current position, not quite two years. Okay. Yep. And was was this position um, something that was on your radar, like maybe um, a career option or, or something that you kind of were shooting for? I had been in college administration for about 10 years, so I knew I wanted to stay in the education field. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, this I've always been a 4-H volunteer ever since I graduated high school pretty well. Um, so I've stayed connected with this entity forever. Okay. And I love kiddos. I love helping them learn. And um, again, just really appreciate the people that spent time with me when I was young, teaching me things non-traditional outside of your typical classroom. Okay, um, And I just, I have reflected on that lots in my life, how those skills have come back to play for me. And I've wanted to be that for somebody else. Okay. So for, for people that don't um, maybe they've heard of the, you know, AgriLife Extension or um, as just like a term that they've heard, but don't mm-hmm. really know what it is, especially if somebody's not involved in 4-H. Mm-hmm. Um, like, tell me what it is you do. What's what's your job description? Okay. So um, AgriLife Extension is lots of different things um, outside of 4-H. My particular position is geared towards teaching um, agriculture and helping agriculture producers learn about new technologies, um, new research mm-hmm. that we do. We have a whole branch out at the uh, Bushland that does a lot of research projects. Right. 
So my job is to kind of facilitate learning for them. I also do kind of have a 4-H track that I've taken on more as a volunteer, um, helping kiddos get vet tech licenses um, through a, a curriculum that's developed out of Texas A&M. And then as far as other um, areas within Texas A&M AgriLife, we have a family and community health agent who helps people learn about healthy living and different foods, how to cook, things like that. And then there's obviously the branch of 4-H here in Potter County okay. where we have lots of different projects the kiddos can do from sewing to cooking to showing animals to all kinds of so just, like all kinds of stuff. Day to day, I mean, is is your job sort of the same each day? Never. Or is there I mean, this sounds like there's a lot of stuff. There that, is. That and that's what I love about okay. this job. No day is ever the same. Um, and we're continually learning. Like we have so many opportunities to grow ourselves and take in the information that all of our other branches are are doing research on. So it's just a great career. I absolutely love. I'm I'm interested in you know, the the fact that this educational arm exists, you know, for local farmers and ranchers. Um, because maybe the perspective is that, you know, this is a if you have a farm, um, you know, it's a family tradition. It's something mm -hmm. that's been passed on from generation to generation. You do it the same as your dad did it and stuff like that. And, you know, we forget about all the innovation that's happening, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's technological innovation, whether it's environmental innovation. Tell me about the importance of that, of, of being able to, I guess, evolve some of your techniques, you know, to do things better than they were done in the 60s or the 70s right. or whatever that was. Well, agriculture has changed a ton, as we all know. So um, it's imperative that producers stay connected with industry trends and different markets and different technologies that can help them grow crops. I mean, it's a true business. It is a huge economic driver in this area. So it's just imperative that they stay connected with how the new new varieties of seeds that are coming out and new chemicals that can be used to help, you know, grow a better crop are all imperative to their operations. And so I don't, I don't know anything about agriculture. <laughs> um, I don't come from that background. Give me, can you give me an example of, of maybe what one of those things is? You know, like, like what is a, a new type of seed or a new technique that is being practiced today or taught today, you know, that, that maybe didn't exist 20 years ago, 25 years ago? would say one is kind of um, concentration more on soil health. Okay. Um, typically the older generations of farmers were trained and at that time it was what the best practices were meant to, to be. But as we've researched and grown and learned more about agriculture, we realized that no-till operations, those um, practices tend to help your soil health. And then we're finding that soil health is a huge factor mm -hmm. in yields of a crop. So that's one side. Um, as we have, as seed companies have developed varieties of crops that are resistant to X, Y, or Z, uh, we found some resistance of those traits coming into play. So adjustment of chemicals that are used, just there's so much changing there that is critical for producers to stay abreast of and then two new things that are coming have come to our area in the last you know generation probably is cotton you never mm -hmm. saw cotton produced here you know we have a big hand in 
the research side of whether or not that crop can grow here, which varieties will grow well. Um, and so that's a huge piece of our part in it so that producers don't have to take on that risk to try it. We have research to back up that, yes, this crop will grow here. Um, this is how you, what you need to do when you mm-hmm. need to plant, how much you need to water it. One of the newest things coming is hemp. Okay. Nobody um, really has grown it here. You oh, know, that's because they couldn't, a current right? farmer. Yeah. Right. So that's a whole new crop. That is that something that, like cotton or um, you know sorghum or something like that, that that does grow in this uh, area mm-hmm. because of the soil and climate and all those things. Yeah, we're still working on a lot of research. We don't have any, but I'm on a state team that's working on developing some of those educational materials and and is responsible for doing some of the research. Um, and we're we, yes, it will grow here. We're not haven't determined which varieties, um, planting dates, the mm-hmm. amount of water, all those good things. There'll be some testing that has to be done to to roll out good research based information. That's the other thing about Texas A and M AgriLife. We're here to share research and data, not our personal opinion. Okay. So until we get to the point where we have those tools, we typically try to you know advise producers as best we can, but with the caveat. <laughs> There's no research to back that up at this point or, you know, share with what we do have so that they can make informed decisions for their operations. Our goal is to make sure the economics of their operations stay healthy, you know, and do our part in in doing that with them as best we can. So does – tell me about how the relationship works with the extension. I mean, are are you here just as a resource and have particular farmers – I have a question. You know, they come to you. Is it like we run this website and you can find papers? I mean, mm-hmm. do, are you going out into the field and talking to them? Yes. How, how does that all work? All of that. Okay. <laughs> yep. right. They're welcome to you. We're, we're, you typically are free services. Uh, so we, we'll, we'd spend a lot of time in the field. They can come to our office and, and gain resources that are in print and just use us kind of as a consultant. And if we as the agent ourselves are not um, particularly savvy in an area, we are so blessed to have wonderful research and um, specialists at our district office who are a little more specified to, say, entomology or uh, crop sciences or, you mm-hmm. know, they specify a little bit more. So if we're not the knowledge source, we can definitely get them in touch with who is. And we're so blessed as well to be a branch of Texas A&M where we can, too, tap into people that are specializing in a lot of these different areas. Is most of the funding through the Texas A&M system? Is it state-funded? I mean, dual. how does that work? Okay. It's dual. We are um, part of the Texas A&M system as well as each county. Each county in the Panhandle has a budget and supports this educational arm. So it's it's funded by both. One question I have, and um, I'm going to assume you're equipped to answer it, but you can say, <laughs> no, I'm not. So, okay. Um, like, how has, I guess, the state of farming in this area changed you know, over the years, over the last few decades, because I know a lot of things have changed talking about hemp. Now mm-hmm. that's legal. It's not, it used to not be, but you know, with the ways that the technology has changed, that the climate has changed, that, that different things are, these different forces are sort of impacting the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, like where are we now versus where we were a few I decades ago? I would say ago? one of the, the biggest things is the amount of land each operator is is trying to farm at this point has changed. You know, we're not we've gone pretty far away from the small farmer who's doing a couple hundred acres okay. and is able to make a successful business out of that. Although we have some that are doing that as a side business, it's not their full time uh, gig. <laughs> um, so amount of acreage 
performed by different operators. Um, I would say, though, the biggest thing that has changed in the panhandle and will continue to be an issue we have to stay focused on is water. Mm-hmm. The Ogallala is depleting, and we have to have water here for agricultural production. So uh, we that's kind of back to the varieties of crops. There's right. a lot of breeding going on, trying to figure out how to help these crops be more water tolerant, making sure we're planting crops that are as water tolerant as we possibly can while supplying the demand that's necessary for the cattle industry and other industries of livestock here. So that's a constantly moving target. Right. Um, and that's a whole nother branch that I work in in the natural resource side is trying to help educate all people, urban and um, rural, about the need for us to all really focus on whether or not we really need that fescue lawn that we right. water every oh, yeah. single day. How feasible is that? for us to be doing in a semi-arid desert area Mm -hmm. and to help people recognize we're all a team in that. And if we work together, we can definitely ensure that our economy here will, will stay strong. I mean, there's not an industry here in Amarillo that can't live without water. Right. So that's what we, I mean, if that goes away, we have no reason to be here. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about, so, so with that future outlook, I I know there's also a a part of your job that is looking at maybe the next generation of, of farmers, mm-hmm. ranchers, and, you know, students who maybe are in 4-H now or they're, you know, in the university at this point. Is it more difficult these days to find young people who have either the desire or the capacity to go into agriculture? Like, is that something culturally that is changing? You know, there's more opportunity to do whatever you want, mm-hmm. People are much more mobile than they used to be. So being from a farming family doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a That's farmer. Right. Mm-hmm. So is, is there is, is that a part of your job where you're trying to say, look, this is a viable career path for you? Yes, yes. Um, I, we definitely have seen a, a bit of a change there, although I, I say that with the fact that there are a lot of young folks who are embracing the technology and they understand the importance of taking care of Mother Earth and, you know, making sure we have the resources we need. So I'm encouraged mm-hmm. by the younger generation coming in. Um, the numbers of them probably are smaller than what they were 30 years ago. But Is most of it people um, from this area, families from this mm-hmm. area? Absolutely. And like it's, it, we're not trying to attract outside talents to the panhandle not from to what farm. I've, you know, yeah, not from what I've been involved in. Another question I had is, you know, you being a, a woman in this position that maybe it's my perspective, maybe I'm wrong, um, but, you know, farming and ranching has always seemed kind of like, you know, the, the boys club mm-hmm. and, you know, the guys and their, their tractors and stuff like that. And you're coming from an educational perspective um, saying, here's the seed you should plant. Here's the techniques you should, you should try. Mm-hmm. Is that feel like like you're doing something unique in this area that maybe it's a perspective they haven't heard before? Or, or is it is it hard for them? Is there a gender gap there that you're dealing with? I think there is somewhat unintended, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably. You're not but trying to be a pioneer or something? No, you know? absolutely not. There are other females. And um, I just, I don't know. It doesn't feel that way to me, mostly because I've worked in this field my whole life and I work better with the male. I feel like I'm more comfortable working in the male world. But there is, as long as we have the research to back up what we, what we're trying to share. I've never had you know 
any feelings of that my information is Mm -hmm. bad in any way, you know. But I do feel like there's still some of that alive and well in our society as a whole, you know. I mean, regardless of of what job Mm -hmm. you're in, I think. Yeah, and that can go both ways in different industries. Um, But I enjoy it. I think it's I think it's great, and I appreciate people who are who are willing to embrace that. And um, I'm never afraid to say I don't know if I don't Mm -hmm. know, and um, try to find out from someone who does, you know. And I think people appreciate that as well. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on Amarillo itself, having you know moved here a little bit later in life, and then lived in Canadian for a while, and, Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So, like, tell me your impression of the city and the role it plays, you know, within this agricultural region? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's grown crazy since I got here. It's amazing to think of what it was like before when I first came here. Um, what year was that? Like, do you, do you remember when you first? It was in the early 2000s. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that, that is yeah, a lot of growth. It, yes, then. absolutely. Um, you know, I think Amarillo is, it has and always will be kind of a hub for the rural areas around here to gain access to supplies they need in, in agriculture and or, you know, just general life. I think that we as a city have to be very cognizant. I'll tell you, I, I should back up a little bit and tell you, I would love to have gone home once I finished college. Mm-hmm. But um, at that point in time, Denver, the city of Denver, um, was running low on water and um, came to the, down to the valley where we use flood irrigation from snowmelt off the Rocky Mountains for our, our agricultural production. Okay. And they came to the valley and kind of forced people to sell their water rights so that they could have drinking water up the hill, wow. <laughs> um, which was detrimental to our agricultural operations. I mean, lots of factories and plants were shut down. So I give you that background to say that I think, again, as a as a panhandle community, um, we have to be cognizant of, you know, the city versus the rural and the whole playing field of the economics and what makes us all thrive. I mean, I would hate to forever, I would hate to see that same scenario kind of play out. Right, to um, choose the city maybe yeah, over the rural communities. Right, yeah. When really a lot of what's happening in those communities is what's driving growth that's, in the city. That's exactly right, yeah. And the economics, I mean, behind agriculture are truly driving a lot of the success of other industries here, mm-hmm. you know. So I think it's it's really important for us to stay aware of that. It's either here or there, but it's something that I've seen happen, and it, it does kind of concern me. So one thing that that I do know about, you know, the at least the people living in the smaller cities like Canadian is that, like you said, Amarillo becomes sort of a hub mm-hmm. that people visit for, you know, whether it's for medical needs or entertainment or shopping or something like that. Um, but for people who are farming in those communities and their work and their livelihood is based on the land around them, does Amarillo still have that? sort of hub quality? I mean, are there people that have to come here for equipment or have to come here for other purposes related to what they do? Uh, yes Or are they no. like self-contained, you know, out on the farm? That's yeah, the- yes and no. I mean, access to the things they need for their actual operations has changed a lot with technology. So um, I would say yes and no. In some ways, it's dependent upon what they need um, because they're able to to get it either from another city or just have it shipped right to them, you know, kind of like us and buying from Amazon. (laughs) It's the same kind of trend in the agricultural field as well. 
as far as access to products. Okay. But I do, they all do still come here for medical care for the most part and, and shopping and, and entertainment for sure. Absolutely. Do you, do you have a sense, you know, because I, I know you're focused so much on, on change and technology and, and education. Do you have a sense of maybe where we'll be in 20 years? I mean, can you look that far ahead and say, based on the trends, this is what, this is what I see, or this is what, you know, we don't want to become, you mm-hmm. know. In agriculture. In agriculture, in yeah. You know, I just, I feel like that we're making a lot of advances in research and technology, so I foresee that we'll get better at what we're doing, and that's my hope, um, and uh, solidify that ability to grow a successful crop. You know, the trade agreements with other countries, and those things are really important to our economy here locally, but globally. Mm-hmm. So um, my hope is that we can continue to ensure that this country, if not just this area, is is healthy and viable um, economically. And I feel like we have the research and we have the things in place to be still be leaders in the world in agriculture. Is that something that is difficult for, let's say, a, let's say a, a farmer, you know, and not a big corporate farm, but maybe somebody, you know, who has, you know, their few hundred acres mm-hmm. um, with so much of the trade stuff being like out of our control. Those are not decisions that are being made locally, but it does impact mm-hmm. how much they can get for their crops or whether anybody wants to buy a certain crop. Right. How do they deal with the uncertainty around all of that? You know, just from season to season, from year to year. They are very tough people. (laughs) It's just, uh, you know, there are a lot of governmental programs that are set up to kind of help them uh, wage that risk war um, that are very helpful. But I think the biggest thing is to make sure they have a voice um, and, and make sure we have people that really understand our area, whether it be in agriculture or anything else, um, that are able to voice those things for us. Um, but really, it, it goes for any other industry. I think right. it's the same. We just have to make sure that we um, share the need and justify what the need is. You've sort of ended up in Amarillo. I, I get the sense that maybe you um, thought you might end up in you know where you mm-hmm. grew up in, in southeast Colorado. Does, does Amarillo feel like home to you now? Is, is it a place that you're just kind of stuck here and you didn't intend to come here or like, are, <laughs> are you planted and no, no, I made the decision to stay here. I love it in Amarillo. Why did you stay? Um, I just, I like the career opportunities and mostly I enjoy the people, uh, just super friendly family. I mean, total strangers can become family in no time here because we have a genuine care for each other. So I've just always really enjoyed that. Is, is the culture here very different from the high plains of Colorado? Yes. It is? Mm-hmm. I, I would have said people there are probably the same as people here, but that's not the case. It's changed over hmm. time. Yep. Definitely a little more friendly here. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure what's driven that necessarily. I have some thoughts, but yeah, definitely different than where I grew up. This episode is also sponsored by Bivens Point, a long-trusted name for senior healthcare in Amarillo. Look, all of us with older parents or grandparents have been thinking about senior healthcare probably more than ever before. A lot of us spent the spring staying home. Well, all of us. All of us spent the spring staying home and 
working hard to protect the senior adults that we love. And we're still practicing social distancing and wearing masks to protect the most vulnerable people in our lives. So eventually, we may get to a place where we have to make other decisions about their health, like rehab or nursing care. When that time comes, turn to Bivens Point. They've suspended visitation right now to protect the residents. But if you'd like to learn more about this upscale, vibrant wellness community, visit BivensPoint.org. That's point with an E. Okay, I'm back with Megan Eichner of the Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension Center. Did I get the is that the right Pretty name? Close, yep. Pretty close enough? Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so this is the part of the show, Megan, I call eight straight. As my guest, you get to answer eight straight questions I'm going to ask you. Um, and I ask a lot of these of most of my guests. So uh, I'm eager to hear what your answers are to Thanks. some of these questions. Does, the, the first one is, what's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo? I think it would be um, just the the culture of friendliness and family and God-loving families and the acceptance of people to anyone that comes here um, probably is something that's super underrated in comparison to other parts of the country from what I've experienced. I want to follow up on the acceptance part because I, I think a lot of people maybe outside this area might have the idea, well, you know, you go into this um, this place like Amarillo, and it's just one type of people. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of thinks the same way, and they're not going to be great with outsiders. But I know that's not true, and you I found agree. that not to be true. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to be a small business owner in this community, you have a plethora of options and people that will be right there to help you by your side. I mean, it. I've never experienced that anywhere else, just a community of people that are truly interested in your success, no okay. matter what it is you're trying to accomplish, is what I've experienced. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Um, I would probably have to say Panhandlers in the basement of the okay. the bank. I really enjoy the freshness of their menu, and I just enjoy the atmosphere. That's um, it's funny. That's a restaurant that I don't think has been mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> I didn't figure in it would. two years mm-hmm. until like the last week or two. Oh, really? And you're the second person that has has done that. Wow. Um, so yes, I love Panhandlers. Awesome. It's it's one of those places that's kind of hidden, mm-hmm. um, except for people in the know or people right. who happen to see the sign on the yep. you know the floor of Emerald National Bank. But yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. a great place for lunch. It is. What does this area have too much of? Well, being a farm girl, too much city. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we'll see if we can reduce that for you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, it's definitely grown a ton since I got here. But, you know, I can't really think of much um, in particular. Um, we have a lot of hotels, but they're needed. So mm-hmm. um, lots of traffic through I-40. So, Is there, maybe, I don't know if you want to answer this or not, is being focused on agriculture, is there like an idea that as the city grows, you know, we think of it as a positive thing and we're, we're getting, you know, more houses and more stuff like that. But every mm-hmm. time that happens, development happens, it's like eating up right. land that used to be used for agriculture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so there's, there's, a, there's a loss of agriculture every time the city mm-hmm. expands. Yeah, there is. I mean, you think about the terrain here and what's happened here over thousands and thousands of years is is typically grazing of livestock and animals. And we all know that the beef industry is one of the biggest economic drivers of the entire panhandle. So, um, it's a delicate it, it balance. Has, it is. That, absolutely. It is. Yes. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? 
I would have to say um, water knowledge in general. Okay. Um, you know, in a lot of other cities, people are focused on not serving a glass of water immediately at a restaurant. And you okay. still see a, bun- a lot of that here in this area. Like whether you want um, it or not. Right. You're yeah, getting you're large just getting cups water of water. And it may be poured right down the drain. Um, you know, folks that are really cognizant of the type of lawn they have and really thinking about how, why do I need this lawn? Do I ever even put my feet on this lush grass mm-hmm. that I wanted this variety for, you know, really thinking about the things that are truly important so that, like I've said before, the the balance can be there for all the industries that require water and need. So I would say some urban knowledge of, okay. of water use in general. Because in I, you'll, you'll see fescue in so many homes, and that's just mm-hmm. that's the kind of grass I want because that's what my neighbor's grass is. Right. But it's hardly ideal for <laughs> this climate, correct. for the amount of water we have. You know, it takes way too much water That's to right. maintain that greenery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have lots and lots of different varieties that we're even doing research on at the Bushland Research Farm that are much more water conscious and look beautiful. And and so um, you think about the native grass here, and it's mm-hmm. it's not fescue, I promise. No, you don't <laughs> go out and just see fields of fescue. Yeah, right no, here. you do not. <laughs> so... How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? Oh, I would just, uh, the first word that comes to my mind is home. Like I said, it's just uh, a great place to be. Lots of different activities that I'm interested in doing. I know some folks um, enjoy entertainment and things like that more, but I enjoy being outside. Mm-hmm. It's windy. That's one other well, thing I make sure people know. But it's As long as you're prepared are. for it, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> Speaking of being outside, when was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? Crazy enough, yesterday. Yesterday, yeah, okay. for a meeting. Yep. A, a meeting mm-hmm. out at the canyon? Yes, sir. So what kind of meeting was it? We are working on a wildlife conference with Texas Parks and Wildlife and a, a ton of different industries that are focused on wildlife management. So it's part of a planning committee that will be hopefully putting on a conference in September Okay, this year. Is, is it a destination on your radar outside of work and planning and stuff like that? It, it would be if I had time. Okay. Um, we have a, a small farm and ranch operations ourselves outside of our full-time jobs, so time is precious for right. us, um, so when you're as not well as another side either. business. Yeah, but definitely um, family. When family comes to see us, we try to make sure we get them there to, to see the beauty. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? I have no idea because I'm a, I don't live You don't inside. live in city no, limits? I do not. So I've not spent enough time in any one of them to probably give you a very valid answer. Your favorite neighborhood is like a house surrounded by a lot of, uh, a lot of, of empty farmland, Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, and I ask this question of a lot of guests just to see if you'll choose a side. Mm-hmm. Um, pack a sack or toot and totem? I'm not partial to either one. You're not? So. <laughs> no. There's uh there's there's not one outside of town that's close to where you live that you gas up at or anything no. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll let you off the hook on that one. Okay. Okay, <laughs> so um I, I like to after concluding the eight straight questions, I like to end every episode by asking my guests to endorse something. So Megan, what's one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience in this area? Um, I think it would be our 4-H programs and just the plethora of educational opportunities that our kiddos can have access to at really low-cost options. And uh, again, like I said earlier in the the, uh, interview, I myself have relied on a lot of the resources and knowledge that I gained through those programs. So I think it's something that 
a lot of rural folks are still aware of, but um, something maybe that's been lost in the urban populations of knowledge about different activities our charos can be involved in outside of sports. Okay. But like even even the urban schools, Amarillo High, Tescosa, uh-huh. Paladero, I mean, still have 4 H programs. Yes. And they're you know, kids who are participating in that stuff, even though they may live in the middle of Amarillo. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have some after school programs and some schools. Again, I just, I think it's something that maybe some parents just aren't aware of anymore. Mm-hmm. They didn't grow up around it and they just don't know about it. You know, the typical Girl Scouts and 4-H clubs and, you know, those things kind of, as, as populations grow, they have so many different options right. that um, some of the ones that may not be as able to advertise or, you know, get that their face out there kind of take a back seat in some ways because they just don't have the funds to, to be out there in front of everybody like cheer camps and right. <laughs> things like that. Are the kids who are participating in 4-H are, are they kids who maybe have an interest in agriculture or are thinking of a career in agriculture or are there some that they just think, you know what, let's raise some goats. That sounds fun. You know, I, it's honestly, it's a good mix of both. Um, we have definitely got a lot of kids focused in livestock and um, the traditional agricultural fields. But like I said, we have sewing clubs and quilting clubs and cooking clubs and share the fun activities where they kind of learn to build a skit. I mean, the plethora of options for 4-H programs is just it's overwhelming kind of, you know, when you can think about all the things that kids can learn. And we're always looking for volunteers. You know, if somebody had a an area where they really wanted to just reach out and help kids and they know how to cook, you mm-hmm. know, we're always looking for volunteer leaders to come and help form youth and enter contests that are always good for the kiddos just from an experience standpoint, getting in front of a judge and being yeah. able to speak and those are all great skills they'll use someday on the road, whether they're in ag or not. Right. It really doesn't matter. Okay. We've had kids win national awards and scholarships and lots of great opportunities for the kids. Well, Megan Eichner, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, I thank appreciate you. it. I really appreciate you. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Megan for the interview. And thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week. I also want to say thanks to my sponsors for this week, Blue Handle Publishing and Bivens Point. I really appreciate their ongoing sponsorship of Hey Amarillo. If your business is interested in sponsoring the podcast or if you as an individual want to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash heyamarillo. That's Patreon with an E. Supporters of Hey Amarillo include executive producers Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Neil Nossiman, Jennifer Callahan, Joshua Rafe, Ryan Pennington, Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, and Valerie Gooch. This has been episode 153. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.